Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is November 23rd, 2020, and I'm going to pull a fast one on you this week. For those of you that listened last week, uh, I really made zero reference to the fact that this was going to be a two-part series, and that's probably because I had no plan to do a second episode on this topic. However, When I look back on the way I ended it, I realized I basically opened a can of worms and then walked away. So I decided it would be helpful to do a follow-up episode just to tie things up, tie up some loose ends, uh, and maybe answer some questions, hopefully making a better case for the importance of time. Also, I do need to admit that the past uh, episode and this one combined will come across as a little bit churchy, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, most of our episodes tend to be a little bit more general, geared toward concepts of psychology or self-help, but there's something about this concept of Sabbath that I just felt like I needed to dive into given COVID, given the world and the way that it's going. Uh, It really seems like a helpful topic, even though it has deep roots in, uh, you know, religious organizations and religious uh, affiliations uh, for some of us and for some of you. Um, But I thought it would be helpful. So bear with us and uh, we will soon get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, But first, let's dive into our minute of transparency. Today I'm going to call it coronavirus equals chaos equals distraction equals an increase in cybercrime. Now, if I had to choose one word to describe the world right now, it would probably be chaos, right? Not chaos like world wars, natural disasters, and stuff like that. We have had that, you know, going backward in time forever. No, it's the added chaos that arrived with the global pandemic, on top of the other things that we already deal with. And one of the main byproducts of a chaotic environment is this thing called distraction. Now, distraction is very useful in many areas of life. We use it with small kids, right? If they're hyper-focusing on something like the knobs on a stove, right? We can distract them and keep them from doing what they're doing. It also works well in sports. So small fakes distract a goalie, get them out of position, which leads to scores. Uh, A ball carrier in football uses sharp movements to distract the defender and get them off balance so that they can go around them for a touchdown. And sure enough, the coronavirus pandemic has distracted the entire world, opening up a window of opportunity for things like cybercrime to expand and infiltrate. Speaking of distraction, during the recent election, I remember a reporter explaining that during times of transition, we are vulnerable as a country. I think that they used the, maybe the 2000 election as an example. Uh, apparently, while we were counting and recounting hanging chads in the state of Florida, uh, other countries were able to do some things that undermined our national security. 
And this here is no different. In fact, it is 2000 on a whole different scale, right? In 2020, as we go through this transition period, uh, the possibility of us being distracted and other countries doing things behind our backs, so to speak, is monumental. And one of those things just might be cybercrime. With the explosion of technology and the way that we're all connected digitally, criminals are working around the clock on ways to exploit that connection. In a July 2020 CNBC article, um, they explained data breaches have grown in intensity and frequency in recent months as cyber criminals take advantage of coronavirus confusion. Uh, Large-scale data breaches increased by 273% in the first quarter compared to the same time last year. And among the most common types of attacks are ransomware, destructive attacks, and island hopping, whatever that is. And this is cybercrime against businesses, right? Corporate and corporate and infrastructure attacks. But what about us? What about the little guy? What about you and me? Well, websites are getting hacked and there's an increase in spam and phishing schemes. Uh, the stealing of government stimulus debit cards. We, we've seen that just rampant as people have found ways to divert that money in those debit cards into their own accounts and then use them uh, just for regular spending money. And then, of course, there's the all-wonderful identity theft. And just to make it personal, that last one may be in play for me at this very moment. Uh, my wife and I got a debit card in the mail the other day, along with a PIN number and a welcome letter, thanking us for signing up for checking and savings at the bank in question. Uh, the only problem is I never signed up for it. And when we called the bank, they suggested it might be a good idea to contact their department on identity theft because it appeared my social security number was used to create the accounts. Are you kidding me right now? With all of the chaos and instability in the world, you would expect people to be taking a break, right? Assessing their lives, taking stock in what they have and what could be coming next. But instead, crime is in full swing and evil is having a field day. Have you felt this too in the past six to nine months that you just can't seem to catch a break? Like the world has painted a large target on you and no matter where you go, the arrows are already in flight waiting to take you out. Or maybe you feel like you're running from the police in a stolen vehicle in Los Angeles and the helicopters are over you with their spotlights and then, you know, they're directing the police cars where to go to cut you off and to end your escape with their bike strips and their pit maneuvers and all that good stuff. That's what it's starting to feel like right now. Of course, I need to clarify, there are people in the world with way more going on than possibly having their identity stolen. I could be sitting in a doctor's office right now hearing that I have a cancer diagnosis. So let me be clear, most of what I'm talking about are first world problems. But I think what has me and maybe others in a tailspin is that there are just so many little things happening all at once. There is this level of chaos, a lack of stability that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. I'm sure people living through the Great Depression felt this way. However, in our lifetimes, we haven't really dealt with that level of chaos. Maybe we got a taste of it on 9-11, right? And the instability that lasted for a while after that. But this is on a global scale, chaos and instability that has become the rule, not the exception. And at this point, there's no end in sight, right? Many people are getting a bit shell-shocked and wondering how bad things could get right around the corner. 
Okay, I feel like that got a little dark. I went there, I ranted for a bit out of frustration and exasperation, but we need to bring it back around. Or maybe I just need to do an episode called Transcending Chaos or Transcending Fear. Actually, that's a really good idea. Let me write that down real quick. Okay, but for now, I need to bring it back around because as Christians, we know that our hope and our trust is in God, right? Who isn't stressed out by any of this. In fact, he knows the beginning from the end. So to him, everything is simply moving forward, heading toward the logical conclusion at some point in the future. And that's the balancing act, right? Experiencing the chaos and the instability, but at the same time trusting that God has everything under control. Okay, so full disclosure, this minute of transparency really has nothing to do with our topic for today. However, it is what's on my mind, obviously dealing with the possibility of identity theft. Um, so it's just something I needed to get off my chest, and it seemed to seemed to be appropriate given the uh, unusual times we're living in right now. But anyways, let's move on. So today's topic, Transcending Time, Part 2. In this episode, we're going to talk about truth persists, a uh, dollar for your time, and make the Sabbath great again, uh, to use a classic Donald Trump campaign slogan, uh, and just twist it. So here we go. Number one, truth persists. So like I said at the top of the show, this is a follow-up episode to the one from last week. That episode was meant to be a standalone episode, but after thinking a bit more about it, I realized it might be helpful to do a second episode just to tie up some loose ends. And as I thought this through, I realized I might need to start from the beginning, like the very beginning, as in the Adam and Eve beginning, back when God created humankind. Why so far back? Well, because we need to talk about this concept called absolute truth. Now, to keep things moving, we'll just define absolute truth as truth that is absolute. Not helpful, I know. But in essence, that's what it is, right? It's truth that is not impacted by the time it exists in, the people who hear it, or the cultural environment in which it exists. So gravity, for example, is a scientific constant that illustrates this idea of absolute truth. Gravity doesn't really care who you are, where you live, or when you, when you exist in time. If you jump off a cliff, you're going to fall, possibly to your death. And this idea that there is absolute truth out there is important because it means that there could be things that we can hang our hat on, right? These are truths out there that we can hold on to in order to remain grounded and keep from being blown around every time our culture decides that certain things need to change. This is exactly what the Bible means when it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13, 8. Along with God being the same, it's the idea that his truth remains constant as well. This idea that what he stands for will remain constant, and some of the things that he asks of us will remain constant as well. And this is good news, right? Any clinician worth his or her salt will tell you that it is important to be consistent, especially when parenting, right? So consistency and stability are key elements. Kids need to know growing up, right, where the boundaries are and that they won't be changed at a moment's notice. As they grow up in this environment, they learn that parents can be trusted, that they say what they mean and do what they say. 
Without this, kids never grow up understanding what is right and wrong or where they stand. Life is less stable. They often experience fear and anxiety as they navigate life. And so it is with us. When we understand absolute truth, it grounds us and it allows us to grow on a firm foundation versus a shaky one. So a quick history lesson about absolute truth, and then we'll move on. So absolute truth has always existed, right? Even though God's chosen people group at the time has changed. In the beginning, God explained this truth to Adam and Eve. Over time, they passed it on to their children, who passed it on to their children. And over time, the people carrying these truths became a group of people, finding common ground because of the beliefs that they carried. This was the age of the patriarchs, is what it's called, uh, and ended with people like Abraham and Isaac and their families. Next, God chose Jacob and his family specifically to become a great nation that would carry his truth. This people group became known as the Israelites, or Jewish people, and they carried God's truth until Jesus came to earth. After the death of Jesus, his small group of followers began to grow in a, into a movement called The Way. And this group carried God's truth for a while and greatly expanded the footprint of truth on earth. Then another movement started to grow into a massive organization we now know as the Catholic Church. During these years, the way and many others who adhered to the truths passed directly down from Jesus were viewed as heretics and they were hunted down, imprisoned, or killed. And the Catholic Church itself um, basically wanted there to be no other churches but them. And yet, many believe that there was something wrong with that. They were concerned that absolute truth was beginning to be viewed as less than absolute. In fact, many truths were thrown out altogether, and new truths were created that contradicted the things God set up to be absolute truth. So in the 1500s, these, uh, these people who were a little bit frustrated with the Catholic Church um, decided that they couldn't stand it any longer. So one by one, they began to push back, and eventually they moved away from the Catholic Church, and this became known as the Protestant Reformation and led to the formation of many of the Protestant churches that make up modern Christianity today. So right now, at this point in time, God's truth is carried within these churches. Even with there being so many flavors and not all agreeing on the details, this is where God's truth lives. But it won't always be this way. In fact, the Bible describes what it will be like in the last days. It refers to a final church, a remnant church. The book of Revelation 14.12 explains a little bit about the people who will be able to stand at the end of time. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So forget about churches, denominations, ethnicities, all of those things. In the last days, there will only be two things defining the people of God. First, they will understand absolute truth and they won't be afraid to stand up for it. And second, they will understand that Jesus is the answer, the only answer the only way to obtaining eternal life. So if this is true, if absolute truth has always existed and is simply passed from one group of people to another based on their willingness to embrace it and protect it, then what does that mean for us today? Well, first, it means that our religious affiliation means very little. 
right? We're not getting into heaven because we're Jewish or Catholic or Southern Baptist. And second, it means that we might want to be on this search for absolute truth so that we're prepared to be the remnant church, no matter what church we're currently a part of. Number two, a dollar for your time. So ne next up is this idea that absolute truth has an important but sometimes confusing sibling, right? And while I'm sure there are people smarter than me who have an official term for it, I'm just going to refer to it as substitutional truth. So what's the difference? Absolute truth is truth that never changes. It was true at the beginning of time, and it will be true at the end of time. Substitutional truth is truth that existed for a season, based on the knowledge the people had at the time. And this truth typically points to or illustrates some absolute truth that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Or a more simply way of putting it, absolute truth has always existed, and there are substitutional truths most were in place before the life and death of Jesus. So why are we talking about this stuff, right? Why is this important? Well, for two reasons. So first, people today often confuse the two, right? They either lump in substitutional truth into their understanding of absolute truth or the other way around. And also because some of this jumbled up truth has been thrown out altogether, kind of like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And this typically happens when all of these truths are placed on the shoulders of a specific group of people or religion. So for example, Christians throwing out all of the truths that the Israelites or Jewish people held to be true simply because we are Christian and they are Jewish. Now, the only problem is that Jewish people are still God's people too, right? And they were entrusted with absolute truth, just as we as Christians have been in this phase of life's history. So the important thing for us to do is to determine which truths are substitutional and which are absolute. So let's get specific. Here is an example of a substitutional truth. It was called the sacrificial system, and it involved sacrificing animals in order to be right with God. Now this truth was given by God to the earliest of Earth's inhabitants, it was also part of the Israelite or Jewish belief system. However, it wasn't meant to be absolute truth. It was a substitutional truth for something greater, an absolute truth that would manifest itself later in the life of Jesus. However, this substitutional truth was still important, and at the time, it was the only way that you could be right with God. The sacrificial system helped people understand that in order for their sins to be forgiven, innocent blood had to be shed. A young lamb without blemish would be placed on an altar and killed as an illustration of the way Jesus would someday shed his blood for us. And when Jesus came and lived the perfect life and died on the cross, that sacrificial system ended. It was no longer a truth for those who believed in Jesus. So this is an example, like I said, of substitutional truth that was eventually fulfilled and is no longer required. However, there are absolute truths that started the same way. You know, God put them into place at the beginning of time, uh, and he expected his people to continue to follow them moving forward. Because of this, lots of different people groups have followed these truths, right? Including the Israelite people. 
And there are groups of people still today following those absolute truths. So two of the ones that come to mind um, have to do with tithing and observing the Sabbath day, right? Both, both of these are absolute truths for the following reason. They were given to us as human beings, not to a specific religion or people group. They were in no way substitutional. Each was put in place for a specific reason, and neither one finds fulfillment in something else in the future. And finally, each is valued in its current form as it was given and will be until the end of time. I find it fascinating that the two things that God asked for a piece of were our money and our time. Why? Well, maybe because these two things are directly tied to our hearts. These are the two things that we tend to want 100% control over. I have heard so many compelling messages on the correlation between these elements. Things like, you know, how spending a lot of time with somebody eventually leads to you spending money on them and your heart being endeared to them. Or how spending a lot of money on someone typically comes with a desire to spend more time with them. And, uh, you know, probably your heart goes along as well. And then how if you love someone, they have your full heart, that typically frees you up to give them time and money. So you can see how those three elements, our time, our money, and our hearts, are all tied up together. Number three, make the Sabbath great again. So we just talked through a couple truths that transcend human suggests are absolute. But we're really here to talk about time and the whole Sabbath thing. So if this is true, that observing the Sabbath day is an absolute truth and part of God's eternal plan for each of us, then what should we do about it? Well, the obvious answer is to start observing it, right? However, for many of us, this is the hardest part. It isn't easy to incorporate something like this into your life. It seems so foreign to us to give up a day each week for things not on our to-do list. So here are some suggestions if you're interested in taking your next step in this way. First, make sure you understand it. For me, growing up, the Sabbath was a chore. It meant getting up early, going to church. It meant rules, lots of rules. Basically, the rules had to do with things that you could not do during the hours of the Sabbath, which for me meant from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, which is kind of a traditional view of the Sabbath. However, this was my view through the eyes of a selfish child, right? As I grew older, it started to dawn on me. The Sabbath wasn't meant to be a chore. If anything, it was set aside to, to help us stop and rest and get away from the stress that inevitably comes with adulting. It was time spent with God to make sure that the, that relationship was good. And then it was also time to spend with your family and friends to keep you and your other relationships strong. Looking back, I can totally see my parents' attempts to make it fun for us. We had our favorite meals on Friday evenings and Saturday mornings. Uh, we often headed to the mountains after church to go hiking, four-wheeling, fishing, etc. Some of my best memories from my childhood were because of these Sabbath trips. Number two, create a plan of attack. It always works better if you have a plan, right? Don't wait until the weekend and then say, oh man, what should we do? Chat with your family and be transparent about it. Have your spouse and your kids weigh in with ideas for making it fun. 
Then plan how you will execute it and make it happen. Number three, pass it on. So finally, pass it on to your kids. If God truly meant for us to be doing this until the end of time, you don't want your kids to break the cycle, right? Teach them the importance of the Sabbath and model how you've incorporated it into your life. Then make it a consistent part of your life and they won't forget it. Now they may not always continue to observe it the same way that you did, but at least you've shown them the way and they have the tools they need if they eventually want to do it the same. Let's land the plane. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Observing the Sabbath is a big deal. I mean, it's a big undertaking and not for the faint of heart. We just don't live that way, right? At least most of us. Life is crazy busy and most of us uh, say, there aren't enough days in my week. But maybe that's the problem. Maybe we're just trying to do too much. Maybe we're trying to keep up with this version of success that has us all trapped in constant busyness. And maybe for some of us, the idea of Sabbath is exactly what we need to help us take it down a notch, to help level us out, to allow us to decompress so our stress levels don't redline. This week, I want you to ask yourself the following questions. How could the Sabbath benefit you and your family? Is this something you could do? If so, what are some simple things that you could start doing? What are some family outings that you could plan to kick things off? My prayer for each of you this week is that you will take a step in this direction and that you will immediately see the benefits of it. Again, like I said, it's not easy, right? It's, it's one of those things that you really have to decide ahead of time, this is important, this is good for me and for my family, so this is what we're going to do. So that's where we'll wrap it for this week. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. It's so much fun to get together, hang out, and talk through these concepts together. Uh, Until next week, everyone, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.